Let's open the Word of God together again and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're glad you're with us this morning. We've had a very busy season, and we thank the Lord for it, but looking forward to marching on together and uh, a, a season of normality, hopefully, but uh, praying much. We had a blessed, blessed weekend last weekend. Good to have my pastor here with us, and thankful many of you were able to meet him. He was very, very encouraged by his time here. And uh, very, very encouraged about what God is doing. So I'm glad that he was able to be here. Ephesians 6, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. If you remember the last time we looked at this text, we looked at how the reality of the Christian life is that we ought to be an offensive people. I don't mean that you get easily offended, but I mean that you are on the offense. You're not always hiding out behind a shield on the defense, but you're advancing. We are advancing. And uh, I remind you that the battle belongs to the Lord, and He's already won. And we, as His children, ought to be pressing forward, always advancing, always moving forward, onwards and upwards. And I also remind you that Satan is doing everything he can to discourage you, to knock you down so you can't move forward. And then when he knocks you down, to put his foot on your neck so that you can't get back up. And I want to challenge you this morning with a subject that is probably the most neglected subject in all of Christianity today. And we speak a lot about it, but it's one thing to speak about it, it's another thing to practice it. And it is the practice of prayer. It is the single most neglected practice in all of Christianity. We look together at this armor of God and and we like that. It's kind of a tangible thing. We can see in many ways the way those things are used. And then also extremely important because it is the armor of God given to us by God Himself. We think about the sword of the Spirit and the power of God's Word and how our understanding about God and our understanding about our own life comes from His Word. All we know to be true about God finds its foundation in this book. How we interpret life comes from this book. And if our foundation isn't made upon Christ Jesus, the solid rock, the living word, and upon his written word, then we oftentimes will find ourselves slipping. If you neglect this book, you slip. But here's another area that we oftentimes don't talk about. The area of prayer. And I think the reason we don't talk about it too often is because it's something that can be neglected that nobody else really sees. We can neglect prayer and still talk the talk. We can put prayer aside and still have right theology, memorize scripture verses, and give them. But without prayer, all the scripture memory and all the theological studies are powerless. Powerless. And I think this is one of the greatest problems in the church today. Many churches, theology is right, doctrine is sound, but prayer is missing, and therefore power is missing. In many pulpits, the words that are being preached are true. They're sound, maybe even deep, but powerless. Powerless. Our first and greatest weapon is the weapon of prayer. And it is the most neglected, and I say that because I know it's true in my own life. 
John R. Rice once said that all of our failures are prayer failures. Think about that for a moment. All of our failures in the Christian life are prayer failures. This is where the battle is won or lost. Why is it that prayer is so important? And why is there such an emphasis on prayer in God's Word? Did you know that there is a massive emphasis on prayer in Scripture? I did a little bit of research this morning. Between the word prayer, pray, praying, prayers, supplication, intercession, or any form of them, ask, petitions, 653 times. There's probably more. Other examples or types of prayer. But on my quick little search, 653 times in our English Bible do we find prayer. Why do we neglect it? Why do we refuse to pray? We're given in verse number 18, many people stop with their study on the armor of God with verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. But verse 18 is a continuation. In fact, it's the end of second half of the verse of the sentence we we look at things by verse breakdown but i remind you that the verses weren't a part of the weren't a part of the original manuscript so that it wasn't divided like that it's something that came later to help us read it and memorize it and so as you read it as it is written there is no division between verse 17 and 18 it's one continuous flowing thought verse 17 take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying always you have not taken the whole armor of God unless you have verse 18. Praying always. Why? Because prayer is how we communicate with God. Can you really say that you have a relationship with somebody that you don't talk to? Would you believe me if I told you that me and the queen are best buddies? You'd laugh at that, wouldn't you? I don't have access to the queen. I don't talk to the queen. I've never met her in my life. I could say that my wife and I have a very good, strong relationship, but if my wife and I don't talk, if we don't communicate, there is no marriage on the planet that is strong without frequent and intimate communication. We understand that on a human level. And neither can your union with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Neither can your union with God be strong unless there is frequent and intimate communication. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself to say that you're a strong Christian if you don't pray. You are deceiving yourself. And you can study all day long, but if you never pray, then you are not living the Christian life. Somebody asked Robert Murray McShane one time, What's, what is the Christian life? And he responded, your prayer life is your Christian life. Your prayer life is your Christian life. So if you're to measure your Christian life by the way that you pray, how are you doing? How are you doing? Well, I go to every church service. I'm there every meeting. And I'm working through my Bible reading plan. And I study theology. But do you pray? Do you talk to God? Because if you don't talk to God, if you never talk to God, you might want to ask yourself, have you ever been born again? Do you even have new life? Because 
To be a Christian is about having a relationship with God. We have time and time again through the history of Christianity, we have reduced Christianity to a series of theological and intellectual postulates. That we believe this, 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 and this. But you can believe that and still never know God. You can nod your head mentally and agree intellectually, but if you don't talk to God, if you don't have a real relationship with God, you're not His child. Do you talk to God? McShane died at the age of 29. He was a Scottish preacher in Dundee. You've heard me speak of him much. The Lord used him. Revival was brought to the land. It was actually brought to the land when he was away from his pulpit. W.C. Burns was preaching in his place while he was away. That's when revival broke out in Dundee, Scotland, and he was delighted. He didn't care if it wasn't even, if it wasn't even through him. But he was known for that. It was known that he prayed for revival. He prayed for the people in his parish. He prayed for souls to be saved. After his death at the age of 29, there was a minister that came from the mountains of Scotland to visit his church, St. Peter's in Dundee. He knocked on the door and was greeted by a caretaker of the church. They called him a sextant. sextant. And the man opened the door and, and the man said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've just come. I've come a long way, a long, long way. I've traveled many miles. I just wanted to just see if I could. What was the secret of McShane's spiritual success? And the man, who, the caretaker, was not unaccustomed to this question. Many people had come and asked the same thing. So he took this man, this visitor, this stranger, this preacher from the mountains, into the church door. And here comes the preacher. And he was mesmerized, looking around, eyes as big as saucers as he looked around the church where McShane ministered. And he could imagine the chairs. He heard of all the chairs being filled and the, and the gallery being filled and people hanging in the windows and pouring outside of the doors. And he could imagine in his mind's eye the days when McShane would preach and his eyes lifted up to the pulpit, the high pulpit where McShane used to preach and he thought, surely this was the secret to McShane's success. And so he walked towards the pulpit almost instinctively thinking that's, that's the answer. But the caretaker walked by the pulpit. And so the preacher followed with his eyes still looking at the pulpit hoping that maybe he could get up there and feel a little something. Walked by the pulpit into the, into the back, back of the chapel into a tiny little room. There were books on a few shelves and a little ratty-tatty little desk and a chair. And the caretaker said, this, this is the secret. And the man looked around and said, what? The caretaker said, have a seat. And the man sat down at that little tattered little desk. And the caretaker said, put your elbows on the desk. And so the preacher put his elbows on the desk, didn't know what to expect. He said, put your face in your hands and weep. That was the secret of McShane's success. He prayed and wept for souls. He had an intimacy with God. He knew God and God knew him. Do you know him? How can we ever expect to make the right decisions in life if we're not walking in close communion with God? What does the scripture say? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Would you like for God to lead you in life? You have to acknowledge Him. You have to talk to Him. God, am I doing the right thing? I'm on a crossroads, God. Which way should I go? 
If you're not walking close and acknowledging Him in all your ways, then you're never, ever going to make the right decision. All of this armory that we read about, all this weaponry that we read about, is totally and entirely dependent upon this one necessity, praying always. And if you neglect to pray, you're like this lamp that's never been plugged in. If you refuse to pray, you're like this printer. You can accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God except a bunch of noise. Well, I'm, I'm a defender of the faith. Boy, I'm not going to let anybody. I'm going to point out every wrong doctrine. If you don't pray, all you're going to do is upset people. Never going to help anybody. You will never help anybody. You'll never reveal truth to someone if that's what you want to do anyways. It'll never happen unless you are plugged in by prayer to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've oftentimes done more damage than good because I rushed in with my big mouth before praying. We are a strange people. We often think, well, I'm so busy, I don't have time to pray. You ever thought that before? I'm so busy, and maybe I'm so busy doing good things. You know, I've got to go here and there. I've got to preach there and teach this. And, and you know, I'm really involved in the Lord's work. I'm going to go meet with this person and have a Bible study. But can I tell you, all of our activity is a very poor substitute for spirituality. You can work, work, work all day long, work yourself into the grave. But if you don't bathe it all in prayer, it's a waste of time and energy. A waste. You and I cannot do anything ourselves. Now, the sooner we learn that, the better off we'll be. You and I can never, ever save a soul ourselves. You don't have that power. You and I can never lift a depressed and downcast servant of God out of the pits of despair and lift them up on the solid rock and give them joy. You can't do that yourself. But God can do that through you. But you can't forget that. God must be involved. God must be involved. He must do the work. That's why we're told at the very beginning, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Do you know we have an enemy that you cannot defeat? Some of you think you're tough stuff. You think because you've been a long time a Christian, studying theology so long, you're going to give Satan a left hook and an uppercut. But can I tell you, without God, you don't stand a chance. You do not stand a chance. You and I ourselves can do nothing against Satan. You and I ourselves have no power against him. But our Heavenly Father can never be defeated. Our Heavenly Father can never be tricked. He can never be deceived or confused or overwhelmed. But if I separate myself from God because I refuse to pray, you watch it. You watch it, it's a matter of time before I'm deceived, self-deceived. It's only a second. The moment I fail to pray without ceasing, the moment I unplug myself from God because I, I, I don't really need to pray or don't have time to pray, very, very soon I'm deceived, very quickly. That's why we must pray, because we're prone to confusion. We're prone to wander. We're prone to make stupid decisions, aren't we? We need God. I think about my own children. When my children are right next to me, I don't worry about them making bad decisions. I don't because they're with me and they're going to be looking at me and 
And if they know they shouldn't do something, they're not going to do it because they see me and I see them. And even if they don't know what to do, if they're with me, the first thing they do is they ask me. But if I'm not with them, that's where the worry is, isn't it? That's where the concern is. And my wife and I often say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to leave Micah there. I'm a little bit worried if, he'll make, if he won't be able to make the right decision. Well, obviously, we're hoping and, and praying that we're training him in such a way that he will be able to make the right decisions, whether I'm present there or not. But did you know that if you are not consciously and constantly in communion with God, right next to him, like holding his hand, like my children holding mine, then you're prone to make silly decisions. Prayer is a way that man ascends to God. Prayer is the way that we make our wants and our petitions known to God, and it's the way that we get what we need from God. It's by prayer that we gain the armor of God. Did you know that? You don't go get the armor of God at Tesco. You don't go to your local church like it's some big shop and say, well, you know what, Pastor, I need the helmet of salvation today. No problem. Ten pounds, please. Here you go. It doesn't work like that. You get the armor of God at the throne of grace. That's where you get it. I'm having trouble with my mind. I don't know what to do. You know, you know what the first thing we do normally is? We go and find somebody. Joff, I'm really struggling with my mind today. Well, I'm glad you're talking to Joff, but have you talked to God? I'm glad you're talking to him, but have you talked to God? Because God is the giver of the armor of God. James chapter 1 and verse number 17. I know you know the verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We get all the good and perfect gifts from God. But we've also been taught. You have not because you ask not. Well, if ever, why doesn't God just give them all to us then? Well, he has, but we get them by praying. We get them by going. We cannot arm ourselves. It's the armor of God. Isaiah 26 and verse number 12. Listen to this Old Testament prophet. They call him the evangelical prophet of the Old Testament. Isaiah 26 and verse number 12. Here's what he says. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. It's God that works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if we know that it's God that does the working in us, then, then if you see a, a defect in you, if you see something that you're lacking, you ought to go to God because He's the one that works it in you. God, I'm struggling with this thing. I need your help. You're the one that works in me. You go to Him. Paul said the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 5. The apostle Paul said, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. God works in us. God makes us. It's God, and therefore we ask so that we shall receive. We seek so we shall find. We knock and it shall be opened unto us. God the Father wants to give us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, but yet he will be inquired of us by us. He wants us to ask. You say, well, doesn't God know what we need? 
Surely God already knows what we need. So why, why do we have to ask? What's the point of prayer? Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8. Be ye not therefore like them, speaking about the, the heathen who use vain repetition. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you even ask him. Do you know that God already knows? He knows all things. So if he already knows it, why do we ask? Because prayer is that line of connection and communion with God. If you take that away, then all you have is a bunch of ungrateful children expecting God to pour down his blessings without any relationship. Have you seen that today in today's society? The majority of young people today have no relationship with their parents. They just expect their parents to give them everything they want. There is no real love between a parent and a child today in the average household. It is a ingratitude, by the way, that's a sign of the last days. In the last, last days of Scripture, say perilous times shall come, that people will be unthankful. Unthankful. And children today and parents have no real relationship. It's just children have their hands held out all the time. And parents just want to get rid of the annoying child so they give the children everything they want. Is that what you think is a real relationship? And that's what you want God to do to you? You used to hold your hand out and expect him to give you what you want? That's the way, now, we would probably never say that, but that's the way some people think. Like a, like a big, bold child. Why won't you give me what I want? We're told how to pray. We'll look at this in just a moment. But the truth is, God is far more ready to give than we are ready to ask. Isn't that an interesting thought? God is far more ready to give than we are to ask. The Bible says, eye has not seen ear hath not heard, neither is entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. He's far more ready to give. That's why we must ask. Now, interestingly, when you think about this, why does God want us to ask? A couple of just practical thoughts. Because in asking, in praying, it requires that we feel our insufficiency. Did you ever think about that? When you recognize, I don't have what it takes, then you'll ask God. Somebody once said, to, said this to me, that the very height of, the very pinnacle of pride is prayerlessness. Let me step on your toes for a second. Would you look this way? I'm going to trample on your toes. I'm going to trample on mine at the same time. If you're not praying, you are very arrogant. I'm going to say that again. If you are not praying, you are full of pride. Because what you're saying is, you can do it yourself. You don't really need God. Well, I pray. When I come to church, I bow my head. No, 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 no. If you're not praying, if you're not daily seeking the face of God, we are declaring to the whole world and we're declaring to Him, we don't need Him. We got it covered. But when you pray, you're acknowledging you don't have it. When you pray, you are confessing to God that he has something that you don't. You feel your insufficiency, and then it can, you are then led to confess your inability to help yourself. Why else would you pray? I understand for the atheist or the agnostic who doesn't really believe in God, why would they pray? They don't think they need God. But for those of us who know we need God, I can't understand why we don't pray. We know that we are prone to wander, we're prone to make a mistake, we're prone to make, we're going to wreck it all. We know that if we don't stay close to God, we're going to make a mess of everything. So why don't we pray? Prayer compels us to acknowledge God as the one source of blessing to man. Do you know what, would you look here for a second? 
some people, they never talk to God, but they always talk to people. They expect people to bless them. They expect people to give them what they need. So they have a problem, and they go to Tommy. They have a problem, and they go to me. They have a problem, they go to Seth. They have a problem. And instead of going to God, who is the one source of blessing, they go to everybody else. Missing the very source himself, the one source of blessing. Prayer causes us to adore him for everything we, we receive at his hands. You see, when you begin to pray and you begin to depend upon Him and you realize you can't do anything without Him, you can't breathe without Him, that you need His help, and then you begin to recognize He's listening and He's giving. And then you begin to adore Him instead of thinking, look what I've done this week. I've worked hard this week, got a good paycheck this week. I've kept my family in order this week. I'm doing really well. I've run a few miles this week. I've ate healthy this week. I'm keeping myself in good shape. No, no, no pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying when you pray, you acknowledge your health is from God. Your job is from God. Your paycheck is from God. Your family is from God. It all is from God. And then you begin to adore Him. Thank you, God, for blessing me with all spiritual blessings. And it removes, lastly, prayer removes all occasion to glory in yourself. Paul once said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say that today? Can you honestly say that? Or do you think you're a self-made man? That's one of the biggest lies of the 21st century. I'm a self-made man. Nobody is a self-made man. No one. I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. No one who's ever lived has ever been a self-made man. You've always had the influence of some people, someone helping, guiding, steering, influencing you, directing you, ultimately God. But nobody's a self-made man. Let me talk about something else here briefly. It's by prayer that we learn how to use the armor of God. Do you know that? Let me tell you what the armor of God is not. Getting up in the morning and saying, I'm putting on my helmet today. Putting on my breastplate today. I'm putting on my shoes, gospel shoes today. That's not putting the armor of God on. Prayer teaches you how to use it. It's not just enough to own the armor. It's not just enough to wear the armor. You need to be taught how to use it. I grew up in America, and everybody, the first thing that everyone says about America is they oftentimes say to me, oh, isn't it, aren't you afraid in America? Everybody's got guns. I've heard people say that to me before. But, you know, they do teach us how to use guns. And uh, I remember, can you imagine, can you imagine ever, ever giving a young person, a, it does happen, but can you imagine ever giving someone a gun without showing them how to properly use it? Can you imagine ever putting somebody into the military and giving them a weapon without ever showing them how to use it? You could not do a more deadly thing. So do you think God's going to give you weaponry and armory and not show you how to use it? I wonder how many times people have used this book, the sword of the spirit, and done more harm than good because they were not taught by God how to use it. Scriptures tell us in Isaiah, listen to this verse, Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 2 and verse number 3, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of our dear Savior, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make of him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. We need to be taught. We need to be taught how to use the weapons of God. Psalm 144, verse 1, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. One of the great problems in the 21st century church is that we have taken worldly principles of fighting and applied them to spiritual warfare. 
instead of letting God teach our hands how to war and teach our fingers how to fight. Sometimes we look at a man and say, well, he's a really good CEO, a good boss. And he would make a good Christian leader. Wrong. Wrong. Well, look at that athlete. Really winsome, really popular. Really, he would make a, he would make a great, great Christian. Wrong. It's God that teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Can you imagine saying, one of these children saying, you know what, I love my football coach. I have the greatest football coach in the world, and, and uh, you know, he's going to teach me how to play. And these little boys thinking they're going to become professional footballers one day, and yet they never go to training. I've got a great coach. And he's going to teach me all sorts of good things about football. But yet you never get up and you never go to training. Never going to happen. You can say, God's given me the armor. He's given me his word. And, and I'm going to fight the devil. I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol. You can say that. But if you never let him teach you. If you never learn from him. Then you're never going to accomplish anything. The promise of his teaching up is teaching us is conditioned upon our crying out to him. Do you know that? You want him to teach you? You got to talk to him. You want to be trained and taught of God in the weapons of spiritual warfare, then you need to talk to him. Isaiah 30 verse 19 very plainly puts it like this, for the people shall dwell, listen to this, the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, thou shalt weep no more, he will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. You hear that? He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. When will he answer? When he hears your cry. I don't know why God's not answering me. Are you praying? Look what God, God's left me in this mess. Are you talking to him? He goes on. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, I love this verse, even if God gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Why? Because you cried to God. When you cry out to God, the scriptures say, He will be merciful unto you. When you cry out to God, He will hear you. He will answer you. When you cry out to God, even though you may be eating the bread of adversity and drinking the water of affliction, if you cry out to God, He'll still give you teachers. If you cry out to God, He will still speak behind you saying, This is the way. The problem is when things get difficult, that's usually when we stop crying out to God. We must pray. The Bible says praying always. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, Jesus said in Luke 18. Luke 21, watch ye therefore and pray always. Psalm 55, 17, evening, morning, and noon will I make my prayer unto thee. Uh, Romans 12, verse 12, continuing instant in prayer, continuing. Colossians 4, verse 2, continue in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. So look here for a second. Why do we not pray? I'm in the same boat you're in. But if we are ever going to see a revival, we're going to have to pray. If you ever want to see a change, you're going to have to pray. Praying always. 
And I'm going to stop there because I could go on, but I'm sure you're ready for me to stop. Praying always. May God challenge you now to change. Was it our man Albert Einstein that said, hey, if you to continue doing the same thing and to expect different results is the very definition of insanity. Well, if you don't ever change, if you don't, don't ever devote more time to prayer, if you're not more intentional about it, nothing's going to change. Next week, the next part of this is very important, praying always with all prayer. That sounds interesting. Praying always with all prayer meaning there are many different types of prayer, many different ways to pray. We'll look at that next week, God willing. But we've got to start praying. And we've got to start praying always. Now, in the next minute, in the next minute, a constant link in com of communion with God. It is possible, I believe, it is possible to live in constant communion with your God. I haven't figured it out yet, but I do believe it's possible. I do believe it's possible. I've had seasons when I've been so close with him, haven't you? Have you had those seasons? How many of you know what it is to have a, a, a season of walking really close to God? How many of you know what that is? And do you know when that season, when you, when you do something or when that season ends abruptly, when, when that season stops, you're never the same until you're back there. I'm looking, there's a friend of mine of several years ago, 2015 or 16, I think it was, he and I got sick of ourselves. You ever been sick of yourself? We got sick of ourselves, and he and I both are feeling the same way, and I said to him, and he said to me, let's meet up to pray. So we met together on a Monday for an hour, and we both recognized our weakness, and so we took it in turns, got on our knees, and we said, even if we get distracted 47 times, we're gonna stay on our knees for an hour. And the next day, we met again, third day his brother came the three of us were there we prayed for two hours that day we met in the morning and then in the evening and we began to pray and seek the Lord like this and after I think two weeks of that the Lord moved in a very special way and if you were a part of our church during that time you will remember the time when floods of travelers began to come into the church you will remember that we had to find another building Jericho couldn't handle all the cars. You remember that time. We met at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies on the Woodstock Road for four months until they kicked us out. But we were experiencing a touch from God. And that was down to, without a shadow of a doubt, that was down to a few men who got sick of themselves and prayed. Every movement of God in the history of Christianity can be traced back to men and women who prayed. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to go. May the Lord stir us up again. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we come into thy presence again and we confess that we have failed in this area, this most important area. To our shame, we have labored much. 
we have traveled much and preached and taught much. But much of it, if not most of it, has been done in our own strength because we have not prayed. We ask of thee, Lord, we come to thee because we realize there's no hope of change unless you change us. We ask, Father, that thy spirit would ignite a flame inside of us, a hunger and a thirst for prayer, a hunger and a thirst for communion with thee, Lord, for intimacy with thee, a close walk with thee, that we may get sick of ourselves because we go through the motions but yet are not really connected to thee. Change us, Lord. Help us to see that there's more. Help us to believe that the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. We pray that we, like these electronics, may be plugged in and receive at thy hand direction, guidance, blessing. Please help us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name.